welcome to the latest Fifth Step podcast. Today I'll be talking to Fifth Step CEO Darren Ray about the release of the uh, latest Harvey Nash CIO survey. Um, as, uh, as, as people may know, as Harvey Nash celebrates the release of its 20th uh, CIO survey, um, well, it's amazing to think just how much technology has come along in, uh, in the last 20 years. Uh, we were looking at that, uh, that survey and we realised it was only 20 years ago, pretty much, that you know, Pizza Hut made its first online delivery. Uh, and here we are, 20 years later, uh, and the, the breadth and scope of the CIO's role has you know, increased absolutely dramatically. So, Darren, I mean, what, what did you uh, take from the, the, the latest survey, which had a, a lot of interesting stuff in it? It did. I, I really do uh, take my hat off to Harvey Nash for, um, A, putting these, uh, these surveys together and, uh, B, maintaining them for such a long period of time. You know, 20 years is a long time to be um, you know, running these surveys, and there's such a wealth of information and good useful information in there for, uh, for CIO and for the rest of the C-suite as well, to be perfectly honest, because it really does show some of the challenges that um, CIOs are facing and that businesses are facing. But I think the one thing that I really um, took away from it, though, um, and we've been seeing this and um, to varying degrees talking about this too, but the one thing that I really took away from it was the increasing focus on the customers and the customer-focused nature of the of the CIO that's yeah. really um, come to the fore, and I think that's one of the biggest differences. Um, if you look at the CIO and the role of the CIO, you know, back in the nineteen nineties, and um, many listeners have perhaps um, seen the the CIO wheels that we've uh, created. Yeah. In fact, um, there's versions of those as well in my book. Um, the um, CIO Navigator. The CIO Navigator. Thanks for remembering mm-hmm. the name of my book there, Chris. That's, uh, um, that's great. Yeah, so, um, yeah, in the CIO Navigator, I talk about the wheels of responsibility for a CIO and how they've changed and are still changing and developing. But really, uh, the operational focus was where we were in the 1990s. Um, that changed and it became far more technologically focused um, and output focused during the course of the, um, you know, the early 2000s. But as we move towards the 2020s, it's very much uh, you know, customer focused and improving customer experience and customer journey. Well, also, you know, when you think now that mobile and e- e-business forms such an increasing part of the business, so you know, IT needs to be, you know, be able to provide the you know, facilities you know, required to keep these services going in a, in a very you know, unstable world. I mean, that's going to be a key area, isn't it? It is. I mean, in the instability and, and indeed the ability to react and to grow and to, to scale at pace is really changing the shape of, well, organisations as a whole, but certainly is changing the nature and form of the, the role of the CIO. And I think that's leading very much to you know, the increase in you know, cloud services, software as a service, um, you know, infrastructure as a service, um, those kind of aspects. And uh, along with those changes come the changes in governance requirements because if you're governing an internal team um, and internal requirements, it's very different to maintaining um, governance over you know, vendor relationships and vendor delivery and vendor compliance. It's, sure. a, it's a very different model. And we've spoken about that on this podcast too. Chris, as you'll, right. uh, as you'll yeah. probably remember. I thought there was an interesting thing that's worth quoting from the um, introduction uh, to the survey, which, according to Harvey Nash. Um, what they're saying is that IT leaders are not only helping transform organisations, but the leaders themselves are being transformed. 
uh, and you know, for, for lots of them, for lots of them, there's a real opportunity to grow and extend, actually extend their influence. So, how you know how how do you see that taking shape? Uh, this is very much um, you know in alignment with what we're talking about, Chris, and have spoken about. The role of the CIO isn't now just to keep the the lights on, you know, the IT lights on, and keep the machines ticking by. Their role is. Uh, there to be uh, a form of um, chief innovation officer, um, yeah. you know, to help organisations understand and get the most from their IT, not just from keeping the lights on or making sure email is running, but making sure that the organisation makes the most of, um, you know, everything from obviously email to websites, of course, um, you know, but, um, you know, the use of big data and AI and some of those things too. Yes, yeah. Um, the, 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 the survey polled uh, nearly 4,000 IT leaders I know, amazing. Across, across 84 countries. Well, what it seems to portray is, a, a, is an industry that's in really robust, good health and that demand for its services is only going to grow. I mean, uh, I think that one of the statistics was that uh, IT investment is growing with budget, increase of, you know, budget increases of 49%. So there's a you know a lot of ammunition in, 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 in you know for CIOs to be able to fire to improve their organisation. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that I found really interesting about that statistic, um, specifically, though, Chris, is that um, forty nine percent expected increases in their budget, but only forty seven percent expected to increase their headcount. Mm. So there was going to be more being done. Some of that would be outside of the organisation, you know, the software as a service and um, those kind of models. But it also underlines the fact that more is being done with um, with less people, or you know, there's greater efficiency or a greater expectation for there to be efficiency within um, IT and the business as a whole. Is that because presumably they think that automation is going to be able to play more of a role, or new, new types of machine learning, or you know, robotic process automation, that sort of stuff? Less so within the IT field itself. I think it is more um, your know, efficiency and use of cloud services um, and potentially you know certainly we're seeing a big topic for many of our clients is the simplification of their application landscape you know we've yeah. spent a lot of time um, you know during the last uh, few years helping organizations understand their application landscape simplifying it um, you know removing the legacy applications from that environment some of the time and it's amazing how many people you can free up um, to work on um, you know, good and interesting work when that's the case, when you're no longer carrying a, a legacy mainframe system or, you know, or, or other green screen systems, you know, and, uh, you know, sounds amazing, um, you know, when we're talking about uh, how much has changed in the last 20 years and we still have, you know, some organisations having, um, you know, really real legacy systems um, you know, green screen yeah. systems and mainframe systems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another, well, another key um, statistic that was a uh, bit, bit more worryingly, I suppose, for, for CIOs was that uh, apparently there were reportedly uh, there were nine percent less uh, CIOs on executive boards than there were previously. Why do you think that's? You know, is I'm, that just a blip, or I think it may be. I think it may be a a, a blip. Um, I'm, I was a little bit surprised by that one, and I think um, I went along to the, the launch event of this um, of this survey, and a number of the CIOs that I spoke to at that event, event and subsequently actually, um, they were quite surprised by by that, and they weren't seeing it in their own experience. Now, mm. certainly in our client base, we're not seeing that now, so it could be that 
there are trends uh, that we haven't seen yet. Um, that sometimes happens, but we usually get you know relatively early sight of that. So. At the moment, I'm taking it as a bit of a blip, but yeah, we'll see sure. if that's um, if that's repeated next year, and it uh, you know, and there's a further X percent fall uh, from the 2018 numbers. Then I'd be uh, um, you know definitely um, you know definitely taking some real notice of that. So what the top what what were the uh, top three, three priorities um, for digital leaders? Did did they tell you that at the event? Yeah, they did. Um, so the top three were. Um, uh, developing innovative new products. Um, exactly what I was saying earlier on ties into what we're talking about. Um, you know, ties into um, my book, the um, um, CIO Navigator. I was going to have you say it again there. Um, the CIO Navigator, which, um, you know, um, I talk a lot about innovation and how to be innovative uh, within uh, the IT landscape. So, um, very pleased to see that as being a, a key part that was identified by Harvey Nash. Um, you know as well yeah. um, delivering stable IT um, another core part yeah. um, you know it's amazing that um, you know IT is such a mature um, industry now but organisations um, in many respects their, their hopes or expectations of, uh, of the delivery from IT sometimes the bar is set quite low you know we just want stable systems yes. you know, I think the, that's a relatively low bar but um, it was the, the number two priority so obviously there are a number of CIOs out there um, who are having to deal with um, you know, difficult environments some of that could be an expression of uh, complex and aged and legacy landscapes um, and you know application landscapes you know some of the stuff that we just spoke about um, so it may be that they're looking to uh, what's been driving that change um, in some part has been the uh, stability aspects um, you know so older systems actually becoming less reliable because of um, you know potentially in some instances the age of the hardware or the incompatibility with the with the modern yeah. environment yeah yeah and the third one, which uh, plays into the you know the main theme that I spoke about earlier on, is enhancing the customer experience. So I think that's a I think that's a really key one, and I think that's one that if you're not seeing it within your organisation at the moment as a CIO or any other member of the C-suite, for example, I, I really think that's one that we ought to be looking for because I think it's a key aspect, um, and it drives. Um, you know, retention and drives profits in many respects as well, increases in profits. And I think the other, the other thing that I've, I've noticed as well that with the the top three priorities that have uh, that have grown, um, and it won't, won't probably come as a major surprise to learn that cybersecurity is up quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so the survey identified that um, um, cybersecurity was as a priority had increased the most um, since the twenty seventeen survey, up a massive twenty three percent. Now. Um, no real surprises because you know we talk a lot about information security and cybersecurity on this podcast. So no real surprises to us, but um, you know very marked um, increase. And there were some people in the audience at the Harvey Nash event who were quite surprised it was as high as that. Good. Okay. Yeah. Um, in terms of um, the survey, I think one of the things that came out was the. Um, was the world of changing digital priorities for CIOs, and, and many IT leaders are asking themselves, I mean, how can I make strategy happen? 
I mean, strategy is fundamental to all this. So uh, this is something, obviously, that you get very much involved with, with your clients. So mm-hmm. now how do you help to facilitate that, you know, that alignment between the, you know, the business and the IT team? Yeah, well, the key, a- the key aspect around that, um, you know, um, one of the things, and I've found it a, a, worrying, um, a worrying statistic, really, that still only 55% of their organisations um, uh, rate their IT... Um, IT and business alignment to be um, moderate or worse. So 55% of them are saying that the the alignment is moderate or worse. Mm, terrible. You know that's um, you know that means that only 45% of the organisations um, have what they consider to be good strategic alignment between IT and and the business. Um, that's very very bad, um, and that's one of the things that we've been helping organisations with. So how would um, how would you go about that? It's really about bringing IT and the business closer together. It's about working with um, the business, not even regarding it between IT and the business. I appreciate that I've just used those terms yep. to differentiate, but in order to make sure that IT is considered to be just another part of the business. It's not a separate part of the business. <coughs> it's an integral part of the business. The CIO should be spending more time with their colleagues. We've spoken about that uh, previously. You know, spending at least a day a week, not necessarily a whole day, um, you know, spread across um, the week, but spending more time with their counterparts in other parts of the organisation to ensure that they understand the challenges that they're facing and how technology can... Um, Fix those problems and align with the the, the IT. Uh, sorry, the business strategy. Making sure the IT okay. strategy continues to be and evolves into being more um, uh, more aligned. Yeah, yeah, sure. If you read the survey closely, it seems it comes clear that successful CIOs will be favouring. I think it goes back to the point earlier. Will, will be favouring customer revenue growth yeah. um, over sort of inward facing activities, as they describe it. Um, so, I mean, one of the big things that's coming along, you know, is, it, it, we all know, is, is data, uh, leveraging data. So, and it talks about having dedicated, you know, CDOs as part of the organisation. Um, and that, again, that's something I know that you've um, you've worked on a lot in, the, in over the last couple of years. Yeah, um, yeah, we've um, worked a lot in uh, in providing that kind of. Um, inf- insight and information, and uh, uh, and we've been advocating the the role and the growth of the CDO, um, the chief data chief, officer, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, for uh, for some time, because you know it's a little bit trite to say this now, but you know many people will have heard the saying, um, you know, data is the new oil, and you know it genuinely is because you. If you've got a lot of data, you can mine it. You can find more information. It provides more insights into how you can, uh, how your organisation can change and evolve and better serve its customers. That's at the end of the day, is um, you know some of the most important aspects of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and despite the, you know, there's lots of challenges out there facing modern day CIOs. But to me, this seems like quite a healthy statistic. Seventy eight percent are either quite or very fulfilled in their jobs. I mean, that's I bet that's probably higher than lots of other vertical sectors around the world, I would have thought. Yeah, I would have really liked to have seen um, Harvey Nash uh, compare and contrast that with um, some other sectors. Now, I appreciate they're not out there surveying quite so um, so many of those mm. sectors or those roles. However, um, you know, with their experience in the, the recruitment aspect, I would have really liked them to see uh, or to be able to say um, something along those lines. However, 78% strikes me as high too. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I'm not saying that that's wrong. By any stretch of the imagination, I, you know, I find most of the 
um, the CIOs that we're working with. In fact, the large majority of the CIOs that we're working with um, to be um, you know happy and well placed within their roles. Mm, mm. Um, so, I, you know, being a CIO can be a great role for the right um, you know for the right person. Um, you know, certainly within the right organisation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know, a few more statistics. I mean, we really can't na- name check uh, Harvey Nash enough in this, but uh, <laughs> we could, couldn't have done this one without them. But sixty nine percent of CIOs. Um, I mean, we're talking about trends here and um, future trends in technology, and quite a high score in terms of the sixty nine percent of CIOs expect to implement intelligent automa- automation within IT uh, yeah. going forward. Um, I mean, you know, is that something? Have you been working with uh, people on, you know, de- developing like you know future-proof type te- technologies? We're seeing a lot of organisations need, you know, need this and uh, considering uh, what they should be doing on this. Whether it be, um, you know, using um, intelligent automation, uh, robots, as they're often called, and we don't mean, um, you know, the sort of warning Will Robinson kind of robots. We mean uh, robots, uh, software robots, uh, more than anything else where they're um, able to take and transition data you know, quickly from one system to another without having to build formal interfaces, for example. That's been a very early um, early use of using those kind of robots. Um, but the increase in using um, that kind of technology within IT itself is definitely coming and um, you know, definitely increasing. You can see that already. Um, you know, certainly within the, the, the service desk area even, um, you know, monitoring um, service desk tickets and uh, you know, dealing with some of those on a, on a semi-automated basis. We see that as uh, you know, an, early, um, uh, an early adopter stage in filtering, so you're only seeing the, the right exceptions rather than all of the exceptions. Yeah. So it's starting to build some intelligence into that and uh, some monitoring. You know, some of the more advanced areas um, you know, are true machine learning. Others are you know, more algorithmic, um, you know, semi-intelligent robotic activities that we're talking about here. I'm a bit worried that you're, you, know, you might be considering replacing me with a semi-intelligent robot as an interviewer. In the, I saw a bit of a gleam in your eye uh, as, you, as you were sort of saying all this kind of stuff. But, I, I, I think, uh, to be honest, I mean, uh, no. we'd be better off with a, uh, uh, a slightly trained... Um, half-shaven monkey <laughs> rather, than going, rather than going for the expense of a, uh, of a technology solution to begin with. I didn't realise that my standard was so high. <laughs> but uh, but um, there's some, also some really amazing sort of um, uh, ideas about trends and in terms of CIOs apparently anticipate six times more investment in virtual reality. I mean, that seems like a phenomenally high figure. It does. Um, it I mean, does. Is that, really, is that realistic? I mean... Uh, I'm not sure. I think um, in some sectors, um, some sectors are seeing some absolute um, growth and use um, for um, uh, you know, for virtual reality and augmented reality. Okay, so I I think uh, within the survey, Harvey Nash um, sort of conflated those two um, those two terms. You know, virtual reality being fully immersive, you put a headset on or put some glasses on and you're immersed into a new world augmented reality is where you put some glasses on and additional information appears layered over uh, over real uh, real world so yeah. in augmented reality would be where you're walking down the street and you see um, you know the names of uh, people that you uh, know uh, floating above uh, their heads kind of uh, thing wow. whereas um, you know virtual reality is where you're immersed in a you know a game a game of thrones type um, you know game fully immersed in you know, fighting dragons. I'm sure I read an article somewhere in the newspaper that the one idea would be projecting 
and sort of adver ad advertising on uh, on clouds in, in the sky with your augmented. Uh, Chris, you've got goggles. to give up some of those. I think I've probably had a bit too much to drink that day. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but uh, you know, who knows what's going to come down the line. But I guess what one of the things that um, is certainly going to um, uh, require lots more investment, and uh, well, I think we're seeing this in, say, in the London insurance market, where we, we have a lot of our clients, yeah. and that's obviously blockchain, um, and that's something that you've talked about in the past. Could, I mean, what sort of practical, tangible benefits do you think blockchain could provide to whether it's insurers or accountants or lawyers or, or whatever? There's a heap of benefits um, there, and blockchain really is... Um, you know, it, it sort of became so fashionable, it was really a... a a solution looking for a problem in 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 some respects. And um, a few months ago, it was almost difficult to um, to read anything uh, within the IT press, and uh, in many instances, the uh, uh, the business press too. Mm. Um, it was very difficult to actually find uh, something that couldn't be um, solved by the use of blockchain. Now, blockchain is a phenomenal technology, but it is, um, you know, it is a ledger system ultimately. So it's really good at proving ownership um, of um, of things. So you know, some of the uses that we've spoken about before are, you know, proving ownership of, um, you know, diamonds, for example. And it's already being used in that respect. Um, so you know, where you've got blood diamonds, um, you know, people want to make sure that the diamonds they're buying are not blood diamonds. So you know, not not mined in in bad places and things like that. Yeah, sure. Um, and um, uh, and using blockchain to do those kind of things, you know, phenomenal um, capabilities in there. That transitions very well into um, you know the insurance market, into uh, being able to record and uh, keep a ledger of um, which uh, which organisation has written which insurance to which limits. Um, you know how much capital they've required, how much reinsurance, or where they reinsurance. Um, is aligned on that. So having blockchains for those that kind of information, we're seeing that, um, and we're seeing a number of different initiatives build up around that. You know, some that will survive and will go forward, and some that are perhaps just prototype stage, and perhaps they'll evolve into something else too. Yeah, that's interesting. It sounds to me that could be the good subject for a book. You haven't, you haven't written a book for about six months. You've been slacking a bit recently, and I hate to think of you. you know, not you know, twiddling my thumbs, twiddling your thumbs. And, you know, yeah. Uh, well, it was. You're right. It was uh, um, the uh, the uh, Brexit readiness guide came out on uh, March 29th. So you're yeah. right. I've been um, been slacking for. I the don't last know what you've been doing. Obviously. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, but um, enjoy well, myself in the garden too. Much well, too. I think I think it's something yeah something to consider. Uh, I think that's probably covered off most of what we wanted to talk. I mean, there are a few other things I wanted to talk about. There seems to me uh, that the top you know uh, in terms of the London market um, the, 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 the t target operating model which is lots of uh, lots of good stuff going on there yeah so the so to our wider audience those who perhaps aren't in financial services or as closely aligned to um, some of the things uh, the London insurance market's the oldest insurance market in the world and being the oldest insurance market in the world has many benefits but it also brings a whole heap of uh, baggage and difficulties when it comes to um, you know, adopting new technology. And uh, they've recently, relatively recently, the last um, 18 months... Um, yeah, two years now. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, you're right. Yeah, um, yeah, the last two years... They've woken um, up to the digital world, really. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to be kinder. But they've, they've, uh, um, there's a, a new initiative called um, uh, TOM, or London Market TOM, um, the uh, target operating model. So it's a it's a, 
a reworking and a reimagining of what this um, insurance market could look like if it was using and utilising modern technology. And actually, you know, blockchain is at the heart of that. Um, so it's uh, it's quite interesting to see how even um, you know a relatively conservative, and I know my um, insurance. Um, uh, I think most people in the class, market accept that they're, they're, they're relatively relatively, um, relatively conservative. I think they do too. Um, but it's interesting to see that even a relatively conservative um, sector, such as the insurance sector, are uh, adopting and exploring um, the capabilities of things like blockchain um, and how they um, how they can change the market and be used in a way that you know enables. Um, all of those involved, you know, whether it be brokers or carriers or reinsurers, to you know, demonstrate their value and to maintain their value. Well, I think there's a real fear that, that the market, the, certainly the UK traditional fund and insurance market, is going to be seriously disrupted by a new, you know, insurtech and fintech firms. So uh, it's either transform themselves or, or possibly find themselves out of a job. You know. And I think that whilst the actions that are being taken are are, are good uh, and going in the right direction. I, I'm not sure that there's been enough of a shift to really protect them, uh, wholly protect them from the disruption that could come from a, an innovative insurtech or fintech solution. You know, that, that holds true not just for London, of course, I suppose. But I mean, the, I mean, we've been talking about you know, in recent blogs about California data protection or whatever. So in, in the US or you know, absolutely everywhere else overseas. Yeah. This is a big. Uh, this is a big challenge for all industry sectors. I mean, you know, we've seen some of the. Um, some of the most traditional and um, you know, seemingly unassailable um, you know, markets or services being disruptive, uh, disrupted. You know uh, that includes things like um, that includes um, you know things like well uh, you know the dominance of Uber, uh, for example. Um, yes. You know and how they've um, how they've uh, taken the market by um, storm um, in uh, in relatively recent uh, time. You know, um, and completely changed the way that uh, personal transportation takes place. You know, yes. certainly in London um, and New York and other major cities in the world, you know, people tended not to have uh, their own vehicles if they lived in the city, for example. Uh, but now there's even less reason. Um, you know, if you if public transport is in the right way to go, then obviously you've got um, you know Uber there. You always had a cab there, but Uber is that little bit more convenient. You can see where it is. And it can up, um, update you as it comes along. So that kind of uh, innovation and disruption, um, you know, much of financial services is ripe for uh, doing, you know, being right, disrupted. So u- uberfication. Well, perhaps, yeah, and that's yeah. you know that's some of the challenges that some of our, um, you know, some of our clients or we're helping some of our clients address and look at is you know what is the disruptive technology? How could it be? You know, how can they be the um, the innovator and the creator of that um, that disruption rather than the victims of that disruption. And that's something that CIOs need to be thinking about. You know, that's part of the innovation. That's part of the um, being at the forefront of, uh, of this kind of uh, well, technology. Being more entrepreneurial, I suppose, as well, effectively. In some respects, yeah, without, um, you know, without the expectation of people, um, you know, having to go to... You know, Dragon's Den or Shark Tank, as it's called in the in the US. You know, without them having to go onto shows like that, to, you know, I'm a CIO and I'm trying to innovate within my organisation, kind of a pitch. But 
they do need to have um, you know greater thought around that and greater uh, greater planning. So um, it's an important aspect of being a modern CIO. Okay. Well, on that note, I think that's uh, covered a lot, a lot off in, in in that 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 podcast, and obviously. Met- Thanks due to Harvey Nash and uh, KPMG for the uh, excellent survey findings that they came up with. So, um, uh, well, we've been talking a, a lot around this subject today, but if you uh, want to talk about you know, innovation in the workplace or the potential uh, disruptive forces of IT and how they affect uh, CIOs, then Darren is always free uh, and able to speak to you, to you on those subjects. Uh, probably, what's the best way of getting in touch with you, Darren? Is it email? Probably is the. Yeah, I mean, look, reach out to um, you know myself or um, you know any member of um, the IT leadership team um, you know on this particular um, subject. But um, you know, if you you can always find uh, me. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Google if you just Google uh, Darren Ray. Uh, it's Ray with a W W R A Y. Um, uh, if you uh, want to uh, drop me an email, then uh, all the details are all included um, in the text that accompanies uh, this podcast. Um, you find me, find me and Fifth Step on LinkedIn, and you can find us on uh, Twitter as well. It's at Fifth Step, all one word. Um, and if you've got any suggestions for future podcasts, or if you've got any questions, or indeed you want to reach out because you need some help, then do please drop us a uh, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, well, on that note, thanks a lot, Darren. Thanks, Chris.